Good morning, you guys, and happy Saturday. It is Amanda and Baron with Kicking Cancer Cares. We want to give a huge shout-out before we start to our sponsors, Breezy HVAC and Oddmo's Pizza. Um, the response they're getting from you guys is absolutely amazing, so continue to support them. We really, really appreciate it. How are you, Baron? Good morning. Good, good to be back. It is. Another it is. Saturday morning. It is. So let's recap on last week. I know we didn't really get to talk much on his story. Yeah, I want to spend a little more time today. Usually our recaps are kind of quick, but uh, Dave Wentz's story was, uh, there's a lot to his story. There was. So maybe we can spend a little more time recapping last week's story. Absolutely. Um, for those that know Dave Wentz, his job here in town, he works with uh, disabled veterans. Okay, love that. And he's probably in his early 70s. Because he served during Vietnam. So just, you know, kind of do the math on that right. one, right? Yeah. <laughs> but in his story, he talks about the fact that he joined the Air Force, went through basic training like most guys that joined the Air Force. His first assignment was in a country called Crete. Do you know where that's at? I don't. <laughs> if, if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, there's an island kind of off from Italy and Greece called okay. Crete. All right. So he was stationed there in Crete. Uh, and his job was to work with the the embassies and find covert locations. Okay. So this is, again, this is the Vietnam time period. They're trying to find covert locations. Then after doing that for about 18 months, he got orders to go to Vietnam. Okay. He was assigned to the 6,994th Security Squadron. All right. <laughs> that <laughs> alone sounds number. kind of impressive, right? <laughs> it does. And I know that you were shocked on how much extra training. I was, actually. Can we go over that one more time just to brief, brief there, our listeners? There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. So once he got to Vietnam, he had to go through some extra training. So he had to go through water survival, mm -hmm. airborne radio direction finding. This is where it gets really impressive and scary all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> he went through escape and evasion. That's cool. Prisoner of War Survival? I, that, that would be a scary one to even take. Like, I, that would be a hard one for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, as a person who had to teach that class, right? You have to teach soldiers how to survive being prisoners of war. You can't exactly be soft in the training. Not even a little bit. Yeah. So how do you prepare yourself to be a prisoner of war? Yeah. And so he had to go through that training. Holy smoke. Right? Um, he went through basic survival in a hostile environment, special weapons training, combat medical intervention, jungle survival, interrogation techniques, and resistance. That's... So he was being prepared for the worst that could come at him. Absolute worst. He probably had no idea how much of that training was actually going to play out for him. Do you know if that's normal training for all people, or is he just one in a million who just did all of these amazing things? I would imagine because of what he was assigned to do, that was probably unique for him and his group. Right. Uh, I don't think that every single military person goes through that kind of training. I didn't think so. No. Okay. But his, his squadron's job was to actually go in and try to find where the enemy was at. Okay, mm -hmm. and and so he was in. Um, it was an un unarmed, unidentified, unmarked plane, and okay. he and when I was talking to him, he actually told me that he could leave no tra no DNA evidence that he had been wherever he was going. So that'd be hard to 
make sure you're not doing. <laughs> right. So no deodorant. Right. No toothpaste. Nothing that would leave DNA evidence that you were there. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, what him and his squadron were doing uh, was was so not liked by the North Vietnamese, there was a bounty of 5,000 bags of rice for his head. And a bag of 5,000 pounds of rice, that's a lot. You think about the little villages of Vietnam? Yeah. 5,000 bags of rice would probably feed your village for a year. So that was a lot at, at, during that time. And it meant they really wanted these guys dead. Like, we want him now. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. And they didn't they, care they whether he was it. alive or dead. Just bring Dave Wentz's head and we'll give you the rice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what he was doing. Um, and, and he says, our missions were to locate, identify significant enemy targets, um, intercept any and all radio communication, determine the strategic and or tactical value, and direct airstrikes against them if needed. So if kind you... of important stuff. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Very. Yeah. And then he got shot down three times. Not once. Not twice. Not twice. <laughs> three times. Whoa. Uh, and all that train that we talked about that was like scary and impressive all at the same time. Yeah. So the first time he got shot down, he spent five days evading enemy troops that wanted to capture or kill him. That's got to be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and he oh, and he was the only person in his plane that survived. <laughs> so now you, they've already killed all of these other people. You're the last one. You're running through an area you're not familiar with, and they are. Yep. And they're out to kill you. And then you're five days just out there alone. That's terrifying. Yeah. And some and impressive, uh, <laughs> right? Actually, scary and extremely impressive. <laughs> so Laotian um, military found him and got, and helped get him um, evacuated. Good. The second time he was shot down, they were approaching a runway, and the Viet Cong, which is the North Vietnamese, um, they set up a machine gun net which shot at their aircraft. The machine gun killed the pilot and the co-pilot, which caused the plane to crash into the jungle trees. He was wounded and unable to exit the wreckage. After three hours, and American troops finally came and rescued him. After three hours? Of being in this plane wow. that's landed. Right. You're wounded, trying to just keep him away yeah. until help comes. That's a, that's a long time to try to relax, stay calm, not panic while being wounded. The, yeah. I'm really impressed by him, to say the very least. I would love the honor and chance to meet him. I wonder if we could make that possible. If I could find him and bring him in, I will do it. That I would. So, so the third one is even, even more amazing. Oh, jeez. Okay. As if the first two weren't. Hit me with it. So the third, he says the third and last time he was shot down, um, they had located some, they, they had located the North Vietnamese army. They had basically flown their plane in low and... The North Vietnamese put a shoulder-mounted anti-aircraft missile and then shot the wing off the plane. So the plane went into an immediate spin and crashed. Mm -hmm. Okay, does that all visually make sense to you? Yeah, I would visually. I, I had to, and he survived? Yes. So the plane's coming in low. Shoulder-mounted missile takes off a wing. The, wing, the plane is now spinning, crashes. He says, I was again rescued by the Laotian Army. And evaded, uh, evacuated to Da Nang, then to Saigon, then to the Philippines, and finally to Japan, where after three months, I regained consciousness. Oh, wow. 
So he was he unconscious was for three months as they took him from place to place to place to place. Holy smokes, that's almost just as terrifying as what he went through. Right. That's scary. So he says, at the end of my service in Southeast Asia, I was one of 13 survivors out of a group of 128 that set out to get there. And of the 26 planes, when I first reported there, there were only four of those planes left. Everyone else was dead or missing. Wow. So this is what he goes through. In Vietnam. So all of that training really did come in handy. It all paid off for him. It kept him alive. Yeah. So he comes back. He gets he gets awarded the service-connected disability encompassing several areas. And he spent most of the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s disabled himself, but helping other disabled vets. Okay. That became his life work. Yeah, absolutely. And I met him as I began building Kicking Cancer and going to chamber events, I met Dave. And when I initially met him, he, I mean, he looked old and frail, but he was still looked relatively healthy. Right. Towards the end of 2018, he stopped going to the events that we were at. Mm-hmm. And when he came back, he didn't look good at all. Really? Not good at all. Yeah. So what he told me was that he had been diagnosed with tes- testicular cancer because of the Agent Orange we used in Vietnam. So what's Agent Orange? It was an awful chemical that we used to kill people. Okay. The unfortunate thing is when you spray this Agent Orange, it just kind of whoever's near it gets it. Right. And so he got it. They removed the testicle. 99% of the time that works. After three months, he went back in for a follow-up, and they determined that he had some lesions on his bladder. So So it didn't work. In that general region, it had left the testicle and gone to the bladder. Um. And after a consultation, the doctor determined that I had bladder cancer. Jeez. The doctors ordered additional testing, and they determined I had it on my kidney as well. Man. The trouble was that he had lost one of his kidneys during Vietnam, so they couldn't do chemo on the one kidney that was left. Right. So the doctors are now using what is called stem cell treatment, along with injections of platinum into the kidney. Mm-hmm. The last I had seen Dave, it, it was about July of 2019. Okay. When they started this whole process, they gave him three months to live. Wow. And when I when I saw him in July, that was six months later. Okay. I'm like, dude, you're breaking the odds. Yeah. Except I did see him May of this year. That's so amazing. So he's majorly breaking the odds. Yes. So Dave's story is one of our victory stories. I love the victory stories. Oh, I love the victory stories. And you haven't brought me victory stories all the time. Well, usually I try to bring one that makes you cry. Those are always super appreciated. Yes, you do. I've noticed that. (laughs) little booger. (laughs) little turkey. (laughs) Dave Dave is uh, truly an amazing story. Not only what he did in Vietnam and what he went through in Vietnam, but what he had to battle again after getting here. Yeah. In the States. That's amazing. He's a true hero. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. He's a miracle. He, he is. A, literally a walking miracle in all aspects, yeah. shapes and forms. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hear your shocking news that you got for me. You always love why I bring this I up. I do. In. I do. They're my favorite because it's interesting. 
They're, they are interesting, and I think what's interesting to me is that I can usually find these in a book or a magazine or something. And so there are lots of people on the radio that they have opinions and they rant and rave about their opinions, but I'm bringing you stuff that's validated from someplace else. Absolutely. So this actually comes from an AARP magazine, May of 2019. Okay, so not that long ago. Just three years ago. Very recent. And the article is going to take us more than one show to get through. Okay. So this is going to be to be continued. Okay, okay. (laughs) But I'll start you off. The article is called A Five-Point Plan to Lower Pharmaceutical Prices. Okay. So they have a plan, ARP has a plan in place that they took, well, back then it would be the Trump administration, but they took the administration to help curb pricing. Okay. Okay. So the first shocking thing that's in here that says, uh, while the U.S. healthcare system is incredibly complex, the answer boils down to something simple. In a world of strong parent patent laws and limited regulation of pricing for profit pharmaceutical companies have extraordinary power to charge what they want for the medicines they offer. Mm-hmm. So there's really no rules governing what they charge. Right. They can just charge whatever. Yeah. So here's a classic example. In 2006, the typical price of a drug, now again, we're talking lots of different drugs, but the average price back then in 2006 was $1,868 per year. Whoa. Wait, say that again? One more time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the average annual cost of a brand name drug in 2006 was $1,868. Okay, that's that's pretty expensive. <laughs> so it's your annual cost, yeah. right? Except in 2017, which was the last day they had, it had gone up to... Six thousand. Oh my lord! Seven hundred and ninety-eight dollars. It had tripled in price. Whoa! In one decade, more than tripled. Yeah, yeah. Now here's what makes it even harder for the average American. Wow. Uh, the older adults. Again, this is the AARP, so they're talking about older Americans. Right. Older adults now take an average of four point five medications per month, mm-hmm. which means the average cost of medications is over $30,000 a year for older Americans. Most people don't even make that in a year. No, and we have a lot more inflation now than when this article is written. Absolutely. It's it's skyrocketed since then, I'm sure. Yeah. And I feel like 4.5 medications per month for the older generation, I feel like it's a little bit more than that. Well, it does say take an average... Oh, okay. Of 4.5 medications per month. Okay. So you'll have some olders that are taking one and some that are taking 10. Right, okay. Because the overall average Average. is 4.5. Okay. So what if you're taking 10 medications a month and the average cost is $6,790? That's $67,000 a year in medication. You don't. You don't. So they came, That's knowing those statistics, yeah. That's sad. That's they actually really came sad. to the administration with a plan. Okay. So it says the uh, last May, the Trump administration unveiled a blueprint for tackling high drug prices that contains many common sense strategies endorsed by AARP. So I'm going to highlight these. Okay. But we're not going to have time to hit them all. Right, right. So are you okay with to be continued? Yes, okay. I am. Okay. Absolutely. So the, so the first one they say here is um, giving the federal government the ability to negotiate when buying... Sorry, I got to turn the page. You're all right. When buying drugs. 
So the government has the ability to negotiate prices Mm -hmm. with pharmaceutical companies. Okay. Seems logical. Right. Absolutely. But that means if they're proposing it, it doesn't happen currently. Okay. Okay. Right. So the second one is to legalize the safe importation of drugs sold at lower prices in other countries. Repeat that one more time. We have to legalize the safe importation of drugs that are sold in other countries at lower prices. Yes. The third one is to cap the patient's out-of-pocket cost. Mm -hmm. And the fourth is to change patent rules that currently allow manufacturers of branded brand name pharmaceuticals to freeze out competition from generic alternatives that could lower prices. Yeah. Those are all actually really good suggestions. They're all great suggestions. Yeah. And I did do some research, and President Trump did take all of those suggestions Mm -hmm. and make them all law. Okay. By the end of 2019. So he didn't waste no time. No. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the ones that seems like common sense to me was legalize the safe importation of, of drugs sold at lower prices in the countries. So one of the things that President Trump said was, if you can get a drug in Canada, which is a country we don't have problems with. Right. This isn't a country we're worried about. Right. If you can get a drug in Canada for $100 and it costs $1,000 in the United States, knock it off. Yeah. Knock it off. Knock it off is and, right. And that's and and so a lot of these things President Trump began trying to implement towards the end of his administration. Okay, I hopefully Biden's continuing that. Um, I'll have to do some digging to see how much these are still in place. Okay, uh, still that would be place. interesting to know. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I I just think that there's a lot out there that the public doesn't even realize on what's going on, but they're doing this to launch to 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 stop pharmaceutical greed absolutely i appreciate that yeah that's what we need Jeez. so as we get into this they they talk about the different problems and it's five different problems they get into and they they actually introduce their own solution to these individual problems which i think we can delve into that more as weeks progress yeah that's cool that they took the time to make a plan and and send it to the administration and all of that that's yeah. That's awesome. It's a, it's a real problem that needs to be addressed and taken care of. Well, and, and one, again, our listeners can't see this because they're listening. Right. But I, I'll show you this. It's a very interesting graph they put together here. So it shows between 2008 and 2017. And on the graph, there's two bars. This is a bar graph. And so the blue line on the graph is what inflation was during those years. Oh, okay. Okay. And the red line is how much prices of drugs went up during that year. Oh, okay. So the one that really catches my eye is 2014. Holy that God. year, inflation was only 1.6%. percent mm-hmm. But drugs went up by how much? 16.1%. So the average prices of wow. gas and housing and, and eggs and milk and, you know, everything yeah. was only 1.6. Jeez. But drugs were 16 all of them. It's <laughs> Every, this is the best one in 2017. Yeah, in 2017, which is the last data they had when it is, inflation was 2.1, and what were drug prices? 5.3 percent. But still, twice over twice. Right. Yes. What inflation? Still a lot. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Looking at this chart. So this was part of the data that AAR pulled pulled together as they went to the administration and go, look at this is out of control. Prices are out of control. Yeah, they are. 
and and Whoa. and so they came with this data to put a stop to it. Yeah, just kind of put a visual to it to be like, hey, look at it on paper. This is absolutely ridiculous. Yes, yes. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, what story you brought in today. Did you bring a Kleenex? Oh gosh, don't do this to me. Well, I did start out with day story. It's a <laughs> so far, this is a victory story. Okay. Um, and I'm going to jump ahead in the chronology because so far our shows have kind of followed the path of kicking cancer. Okay. This is a current story. Oh. But it's relevant to the path we've been following because I did that first Spartan race and I did that first Warrior Dash for my sister. That was my motivation. Right. Right? Um, we, we now have a program called Burpees for Brenda. Oh, that's so cool. So if you want to do a Spartan race and you want to join us, we have these really cool shirts and they say Burpees for Brenda. And we go out there and we do Spartans. Mm-hmm. But my motivation was Brenda in those early years. So I need, personally, I need a new motivation this year. Okay. So this year we're calling it Obstacles for Ozzy. Oh, adorable. Ozzy, yeah. is that the name of? That's the name of the little boy that we're oh, going to talk about. Little so. Ozzy. So I've sent you this story already. I know. I know. I, I got through some of it, but I couldn't get through all of it. Holy so, moly. <laughs> so Ozzy is in Albany. Okay. He just turned three just before his third birthday. Oh, I the, thought he was two. For some reason, yeah, he was. Well, he was. He was two when this whole problem unfolded. unfolded. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. so he was two when it started. His family got in COVID. Okay. And so here's this two-year-old, almost three-year-old that got COVID, and so your fever goes up with COVID. Mm-hmm. What was weird as I was talking to the mom is his eyes went crossed with COVID. <laughs> weird. Yeah, that's what she thought. So she went to the doctors, and they said, "Well, there's this particular." gene that that would cause your eyes to go across and the high fever causes eyes to go across and, and she just didn't think that was a legitimate reason right so she went to get some more opinions and finally she says i want an mri i want to know what's going on with my little guy's head yeah right um he has a tumor the size of a golf ball holy smoke at the base of his brain stem so he has brain cancer yeah he has childhood brain cancer the reason that his eyes were going cross is he was also retaining water on the top of his head. So it was pressure on the top of his head from the water and a tumor at the base of his head. So the pressure is literally coming from both directions. God. And I remember asking the mom, you know, what was, what was the real indicator there was a problem besides the eyes being crossed? And he said he started walking like a, a drunk kid, a drunk yeah. person, because of all this pressure, yeah. right? So their family is in the midst of the fight, and kicking cancers are going to step in. We've got a lot of things planned during... June and July and August leading up to it to, okay. to try to help. But for me personally, if I'm going to keep going to the gym and pushing this 58-year-old body a little bit further, we're going to do some obstacles for Ozzy. So you're going to train for him? Yes. Oh, I love it. Yes. I love it. And I've never done all 20 obstacles. Okay. So, so Ozzy's my inspiration this year. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. What if somebody else wants to be in it uh, to do this? Please join us. How do you do that? Well, um, it, you just go to the Spartan Race website. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it says Portland is the race where it's actually in Washougal, Washington. But just sign up. My sister Brenda's flying up from Arizona. We're going to do it together again. Oh, that's so cool that she's coming out for that. Yeah. I feel like that makes it a little bit more special. Yeah. In all honesty. So our start time is 10.15 in the morning. Okay. Start whenever you want. Um, if you'd like one of our really bright pink shirts that say burpees for brenda let me know okay now, i tell you the reason that we did that bright pink 
I mean, this is, you see my shirts, they're bright. They're very bright. This I is, love it. This is even brighter. Oh, oh. Yeah. And I said the reason we did that is that when I die on the course, it'll be easy to find me as the planes fly <laughs> looking. Yeah, oh, there he is down there, the really bright shirt. <laughs> but I did want to throw a couple statistics for your listeners. Uh, in our last minute or so here, specifically about childhood cancer, because okay. in Ozzy's case, he has brain cancer, but more importantly, he has childhood brain cancer. Okay. And currently, he's going up to Dornbecker, which is probably the best place possible Absolutely. for him to be going. Uh, in 2018 was the last data I could find from the National Institute of Health. It was estimated that 15,590 children between the ages of 0 and 19, that all diagnosed as childhood, were diagnosed with cancer in that year. Wow. The most prevalent cancers for children is leukemia, which is blood, yeah. brain, and the nervous system tumors. Wow, those are hard hit cancers. Yep, and the one that he has, it's D-I-P-G is the acronym for it. I'm gonna try to say it. It's called Diffuse Intrinsic Pontine Glioma. Well, it sounded good. If I said it wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the glioma is the brain cancer part of it. But anyway, there's a lot more to this story, but we are running out of time. We are, so we want to thank our sponsors one more time, Breezy HVAC and Oddmost Pizza, and we'll be back next week as, as the, the movement, movement continues. continues.